<clears throat> otherwise, otherwise, we just might miss them sometimes, which is pretty common. Hey, here's what I want to do this morning. Uh, I'm going to spend the next few weeks uh, just investigating some resurrection themes. So we're going to do that this morning. If you want to, open up your Bibles to John chapter 20. Uh, this, this is the, the time between resurrection and Pentecost, and this is a great time for the church to reflect upon the, the meaning of resurrection, and we're going to do that for a few weeks. I do also want to tell you that in about three weeks, we're going to start a new series here at the Vineyard, and it's probably going to be the longest series we've ever had. We're going to do, it, we're going to do a book from beginning to end, and uh, it's going to be a bit, a bit hectic, so I want to give you a heads up. We're going to go all the way through the book of Judges. And we've got a, I've already assembled a pretty good team, and we're going to add a few more people in it. I'm not going to preach the whole thing, but it's a timely word for us coming up. So if you're, if you're not reading anything right now devotionally in the Scriptures, you need to start reading Judges so that you can be with us, all right? Uh, we're going to deal with a lot of hectic stuff. Uh, Old Testament violence, where do you put that? It's a hard one. We're going to deal with it. Uh, we're going to deal with idolatry. We're going to deal with the judgment of the Lord. We're going to deal with how God raises people up and who he raises up. It's an, it's an amazing word, and it's actually for us right now. So I want to give you that commercial as well. You guys at John chapter 20? Here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about resurrection, and I want to specifically talk to you guys about new creation. All right? It's a really, really big deal to us here at the Vineyard, and um, we can't amplify it enough. Uh, I want to start off by saying this, that uh, the resurrection is not simply the happy ending to the gospel story. This is a really, really big deal. Uh, and it's a big deal because a lot of us read the gospel and we encounter the resurrection as though it were the happy ending to the gospel story. It is not the happy ending to the gospel story. It is not. Can you say that with me? It is not the happy ending to the gospel story. It isn't simply a sigh of relief in an otherwise remarkable yet odd story with an unexpected ending. We sometimes read it like that. There's a lot of theology in the church that runs like this. It, it, it captures and it focuses on Jesus' words, it is finished. And it takes those words, it is finished, and it plays them out across Across, uh, across our thoughts and across our experience and across our expectations as though Jesus' words, it is finished, were the last frame of a movie, the end. And so we hear words like, it is finished, or the resurrection, and we come to it, and we approach it uh, basically the same way that we would approach happily ever after in a fairy tale. Everyone just sort of goes home and does what they used to do but with less guilt. It is finished. What's for dinner? Right? That's the way we approach the resurrection. And I want to I make this a, a big deal this morning, right at the very beginning. The resurrection is not the happy ending to an otherwise odd story. No, the resurrection is actually the opening of another chapter, one that's existed in the heart of God. From the beginning of time, it's a chapter that stretches out into the very open future. You might call that eternity. Resurrection, more than being the end of something, it's the beginning of something. It's the beginning of the thing that you were actually born for. It's the very thing that the cosmos is waiting on. When Paul talks about that the entire, all of creation is groaning for the revelation of the sons of God, that's what this is. The, rev the resurrection is the beginning of the beginning. It's not the end of anything, really. It's the beginning of the beginning, if you can hear it that way. If you don't understand it that way, you'll miss it. Uh, the resurrection is the thing you were born for. It's the thing the cosmos was, has waited on. And it's the reason why 
the gospel of not going to hell when you die has never really worked and satisfied anyone. Most of us have heard the gospel in, in the South uh, basically like this. You don't want to go hell, believe in Jesus. Basically, we've taken the gospel of the kingdom and we've taken the resurrection. We've cut it all out and we've made, we've made knowing Jesus simply not going to hell. And after a while, not going to hell doesn't satisfy. It's the reason the church is so bored. It's the reason for the malaise that exists upon the church. Uh, basically, what we've been taught is we've been taught that you've been saved from a few things, but we've never been shown what you've been saved into. And because of that, nothing in your heart burns. You won't burn unless you know what you were born for. You can't. You can't. You'll get bored and you'll give up. And you may be, maybe you won't go to hell. And the Lord is so kind and good, you won't go to hell. But you'll miss the point of your 80 years. And what a shame to miss the point of your 80 years because they're profoundly important in the next life. Jesus said, if you're faithful with a few things here, I'm going to make you faithful with a lot of things later. If you miss what you're born for, you'll miss an opportunity to be faithful and you'll miss the degree to which God wants to put you in charge of something later. It's a big deal. So, It's bigger than the gospel of not going to hell. The gospel of not going to hell never addresses what's next. Any of y'all ever get saved and ever wonder what's next? Did you ever ask a pastor what's next and have him go, uh, I have when I was 13, got baptized, asked the pastor what's next. And he's like, uh, well, you just kind of try not to get in trouble. And you think I'm joking. That was an, that was an exact quote. Why? I'm not beating that guy up. I'm just telling you that the trouble is, is he had been trained in one thing, not going to hell. He had never been shown what you get baptized into. We've made a bigger deal about what gets taken away. We've made an insignificant deal about what gets placed upon a person, which is the spirit and, and God's resurrection power, his opening of another chapter. And if you don't get a vision for that, well, then heck, the only thing that can happen is boredom. Being kind of sure of what we've been saved from, but never certain of what we saved to. But thanks, Jesus, the resurrection is actually much bigger than that, and he shows it to us. I want to read uh, 18 verses of scripture to us this morning. We're actually going to look at a lot of scripture, um, but we, we need to get this part first, okay? John chapter 20, we're going to look at the first 18 verses. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. The other disciple was John, by the way. He's the younger one, so he's faster than Peter. And he bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying, but he did not go in. He's young, so he's nervous and he doesn't go in. But then look at Peter. Peter came along behind him and he went straight into the tomb. Of course he did. It's Peter. And he saw the strips of linen lying there as well the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, on the other, who had reached the tomb, uh, first also went inside. He saw and he believed. Interesting. Look, they still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. This is so interesting to me. Jesus tells the disciples over and over again, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And they don't understand what it means. And even when they're in his tomb, they believe something's happened. They don't understand what's happened. They don't understand what's happened until what? Until they meet the resurrected Jesus. The truth is you can hear something all day long. And until you meet the resurrected Jesus, you will have no context for 
anything that anyone speaks. It's one of the really crazy things. In resurrection season, one of the things that's most important for the church is that we're always pursuing Jesus. To the degree that we pursue Jesus is the degree to which we can understand what the scriptures actually say and what Jesus is trying to draw us into. Verse 12, And he saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken the Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. I think that's hilarious. Like she's just going to go hoist a dead body and take off with it. Apparently Mary was a physical woman. This just a spe- quite a specimen. And then Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. A couple things right from the very beginning. You need to look at verse 1. Because in verse 1, the scripture is trying to tell us in explicit terms, that it's a new day. Look in verse 1. It says, Early on the first day of the week, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, some, some translations say at dawn, and the scripture is trying to tell us right from the very beginning that this resurrection thing, it's, it's, it's the beginning of something new. It's, it's in the morning, and it's at the first day of the week. We shouldn't miss the symbolism. Jesus... Jesus <laughs> Jesus is trying to tell us a story. It's the, the sun is coming up, and it's the beginning of a new week. And the thing that we should understand here symbolically is it's not just the sun is coming up and that it's a new week, but it's the beginning of a whole new chapter, and it's the beginning of a whole new age. Resurrection is the beginning of something. The beginning of what? What significance should we note? Well, the, the resurrection is actually the beginning of new creation. And at this point, we should look at verse 15. It's a throwaway verse unless you see it with new creation eyes. The two disciples have left and Mary's at the tomb with Jesus. And she's talking to Jesus but doesn't know that she's talking to him. At verse 14 she says, At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Verse 15, he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away. And you need to take that little phrase there. It's not a throwaway phrase. Thinking it was the gardener. By the way, how many of you realize that when Mary assumed that Jesus was the gardener, she couldn't have been more right? When Mary assumed that Jesus was the gardener, she couldn't have been more right. Here's what we've got. We've got resurrected Jesus at the garden tomb. Mary assumes that it's the gardener. And it's not just a mistake, but it's a prophetic moment in the spirit and she's actually standing in the garden of new creation. In the first garden, the woman was deceived. In the second garden, the woman was illuminated with revelation. See, it's new creation. Here in the garden, Mary met the gardener, the true bringer of life. In the first garden, the woman was deceived and led astray. It is in this garden, the woman who is enlightened and illuminated by revelation. In the first garden came rebellion, sin, and death. In the second garden came revelation, forgiveness, and life. See, it's new creation. 
It's not just that Jesus got up and happy ending what's for dinner. It's that a new chapter is being opened. In the first garden, God walked with, the, with man and woman at sunset. In the second garden came a sunrise. The first garden was the planting of creation. The second garden was the birthplace of new creation. See, God is recreating the whole world. Your heart, your mind, your emotions, the planet, the plants, the animals, people's bodies, physical dirt elements and atoms everything is being recreated now you might wonder you might look around and you might wonder what gives because it doesn't seem renewed i don't know if you're aware of this or not but right now we're living in new creation and some of you are like yes and some of you are like what well, doesn't seem like new creation seems like old creation right how many of you have had a little trouble in the last two weeks how many of you how many of you have experienced enough of life that reality sets in and you wonder if it's so renewed why does it seem so jacked up See, if you're honest and you've lived life, you've experienced enough disappointment and you've experienced enough hurt that you at least have to wonder, if this is new creation, why does it not seem like new creation? Maybe your body's wearing out. I'm 34, I'm about to be 35, and I don't, I don't bounce back the way I used to. I got out of my vineyard this week with a chainsaw and did some work. On Tuesday and Wednesday, by Thursday, I thought I was going to die. And I had literally done the equivalent. I had done as much, like, the amount, I had done so little work that when I was 20, I could have done three days, I'd worked three days in a row. I could have done all of that in one day, stayed out till four in the morning and got up the next day at seven and it not miss a beat. You know what? Like, I'm 34 and I'm, I, my body's starting to wear out. If this is new creation, why is it feeling like old creation? Or even worse, maybe your best friend died, the one that you prayed for. Maybe your best friend died, the one that you prayed for. Maybe your best friend died, the one that you prayed for, after your, your less than best friend didn't die, the one that you prayed for. You know, can I tell you one of the really, really hard things uh, here at the Vineyard, especially being a pastor? One of the really, really difficult things about seeing, about, A, about believing that the Spirit is still active in the church and heals the sick and... and and relieves demonic oppression, and, and it just is, is, is active in people's lives. One of the really difficult things is seeing God move on some people's behalf and then seeing other people die. That's one of the most difficult things that I know of. It's the reason, it's the reason why when, when we lose somebody around here, especially if we lose them early, or what feels like early, um, it's the reason why there's always this really out-of-tune chord that's sort of in the background. Because I've prayed for other people who got better. Like, In fact, three weeks ago, Stephanie and I prayed for a young mom right here on this front row, and she was pregnant, and she was having major hormonal issues to the point that she that the baby was in danger. Stephanie and I prayed for her for 30 seconds. She went back to the doctor that week, checked her hormone levels. She's totally fine. Baby's completely healthy. She's gained weight and everything got fixed. 
in 30-second prayer. We pray for other people and nothing happens. And we wonder, well, if it's so new creation, then why does it feel like old creation? (coughs) Let me ask you another question. How many of you guys have ever cut down a cedar tree? Ricky's cut down a cedar tree. Anybody else in here cut down a cedar tree? You had it done. Yeah, exactly. Like I wrote the check to the guy. One of the really weird things about cutting down a cedar tree, in fact, Justin just cut one down next to my driveway. One of the really weird things about cutting down a cedar tree is you can cut a cedar tree down and it'll stay green for months. But when is the cedar tree dead? As soon as you cut it. It looks alive, but it's dead. It smells alive. You go over and rub your hands on that sucker. Pretty soon you've you got cedar all over you. you. Rub it over and then you go grab your wife. Baby, I'm a woodsman. The weird thing about a cedar tree is long, as it, long after it's cut... The branches remain green and it won't burn. You need to hear this. It won't burn. But make no mistake, that tree is dead and eventually it will burn. How many of you guys have ever stayed up really, really late? How many of you have ever looked at the clock and it was 11.58? And then you look a few minutes later and it's 12.02. What's the difference? It's more than four minutes. A new day. It still looks black outside. It still feels black. But it's a new day. And by the way, you can never go back. Still cold, still black, but a brand new day. See, here's the thing, church. We need to realize this. Make no mistake, it's a new day. It's brand new. It's brand new. It may not feel new. It may not look new. But the calendar has changed and you can't go back. can't stay the same. And you can't get any more life into that cedar tree. It's drying out. It will go to the fire. Now, why do I bring this up? Because in the resurrection of Jesus, the cedar tree of death and Satan's kingdom was cut down. It may still look green. There's still some sap in it, but it's getting drier by the minute, increasingly ready for the furnace. And in the resurrection of Jesus, the calendar flipped. It's a new day. The sun is coming up. It may not feel different, but it is different. And this is where we exercise faith. I want to put up another verse. It's a famous verse in the, in the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You guys all know this. I don't even have to put it up. <coughs> Some of you super Christians probably have it memorized. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Anybody in here in Christ? Yeah. I hope. If you're in Christ, what are you? You're a new creation. How many of you all feel like a new creation every single day? How many of you, how many of you have ever read that, read that scripture and gone, what's going on? Like, I, I want to be a new creation, but I just... I, What is going on? Anybody ever deal with that? 
It's a great and a challenging verse. It's great and challenging because sometimes I'm a jerk. And I've read the Bible. I've read, I think I've read all of it. And I can't find anywhere where jerkiness is a part of new creation. It just, love, joy, peace, jerkiness. The problem here, the lack of harmony is that I really am a new creation, but sometimes I act like a jerk. Not only that, but sometimes when I'm, when I'm fully in my new creation-ness, I go out and I get knocked out of new creation because I meet a jerk. Not only am I a jerk, but there's a lot of other jerks, and I, I attract them. They find me. Who are these people? Well, the key to understanding verse 17 is actually verse 16. Can we put that up? This is what Paul says. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Some of your translations say we regard no one according to the flesh. What's Paul saying? New creation really has come. And the key to living in new creation is not looking at anyone, including yourself, according to the old creation. It's hard and requires faith. So when I hang out with Matt Rogers, no matter what, I'm going to look at Matt through the eyes of new creation. And even if Matt gets jerky, Even if Matt gets jerky, I'm going to forgive him and go, that's not really who Matt is. He's really, 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 really not a jerk. He's not. And the good news is, in real life, he's not. He's not because he's new creation. Does this make sense? What's the key key to life? What's the key to living in new creation? We regard no one from a worldly point of view, including ourselves. Not only that, if I could take it one step bigger, we regard nothing from a worldly point of view. Everything is... I mean, this is the really hard thing, but it's, it's, it is the gospel. Everything, everything is new. Everything is new. The cedar trees have been cut down. So some see an empty tomb or an elaborate hoax. Some people look at the tomb of Jesus and they see an empty tomb as an elaborate hoax. But what we see is we see new creation. We see new creation. We see, we see the text a little different. Even when, when uh, Peter and, and John run into the tomb, um, the gospel has little details that make no sense in there. It says that Jesus' grave clothes were folded up. You all ever read that? It's in John chapter 20. It says that his clothes were folded up. How many of you know that if it was an elaborate hoax and some grave robbers came to steal Jesus' body, they wouldn't fold the clothes? Some people look and see the empty tomb as a, as, a, as, a, as a hoax, but we look with eyes of new creation and we go, nobody, no grave robber folds the clothes. Also, Jesus is very neat. He's, he's very neat. <coughs> All of you people who, who just throw your clothes on the floor, that's old creation stuff. Everybody who has mismatched socks and you can never find any, that's old creation. We've got to let that stuff go. (laughs) Some people look at Mary Magdalene and they see an overly attached, grieving woman who's telling stories. But we see a woman who had an encounter. And the reason we see a woman who had an encounter, this is really, 
This is something that we don't, it doesn't hit us in the story, but it would hit first century hearers immediately. Mary goes to the tomb, has an encounter with Jesus, doesn't know it's Jesus, becomes aware it's Jesus, and Jesus says, go tell the guys. By the way, if this were an elaborate hoax, if this was a grieving woman who was trying to tell stories and keep something alive that was really dead, when the gospel writers wrote the story, he wouldn't have the main witness being a woman. Why? Because at that time, women's testimony wasn't allowed at all. So a woman could come and tell you anything, and you didn't have to believe her. Why? Because she was a woman. She was more like a piece of property than a, than a human being. So some people see a grievous woman who's making up stories, but we, we have new creation eyes, and what we see is a person who had an encounter. And if you were going to write a story to fool everybody, you wouldn't, put the lin- you wouldn't make the linchpin a woman. We can see it. The gospel is actually reliable and we, begin, we can see it with new creation eyes. We no, we no longer see things as they are or as they appear to be, but we see, them, we see them with respect to God at work. What does new creation mean? It means that we live our lives always, always, always looking and knowing that God is at work, no matter what happens. Even if you pray for the guy for six months and he dies, we can see that God is at work. Some implications. I want to give you... How many implications do I have? One, two. I have four implications. There are actually more. I had 15 yesterday and I I cut it down. Because 15 is too many. It's actually not too many. It was just too many for a Sunday morning. 15 implications to the resurrection and the emergence of new creation. Implication number one. Every obstacle is disempowered, beginning with sin. God has pulled the roots from the tree. Every obstacle is disempowered, including sin. God has pulled the roots from the tree. I want to read another scripture to you. Hectic scripture out of Romans chapter 5. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, Adam sinned, everyone condemned so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for who all people for just as though just as through disobedience of one man the many were made sinners so also so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous there are actually far fewer obstacles than most of us in the room believe there are God has pulled the roots right out of the ground. Um, one way to look at it is this, is that the tide of sin, anybody here ever been to the, to the ocean? And if, you're, if you stay for a couple of days, one of the things you notice is that tide comes in and then tide comes out. And it can happen without you noticing it. Like, you can, you can, like you'll be swimming and doing things and then you get really tired and you go and wash the sand off and then you go up and you eat a ham sandwich and... <laughs> you watch some really bad reality TV and you pass out on, on the sandy sheets and then you wake back up and you go back out later that afternoon and, and the ocean's like further away. How the heck did that happen, right? The tide went out. And in, in the resurrection of Jesus, what we need to see is that he changed the tides and the tides of, of, of obstacles, the, the power of sin in all of its dimensions began to go out. Does the tide go out all at once? No, but the tide is going out. See, God is establishing new normals for old normals. 
And it's our old normals which re-empower sin and deception. Here's the really, this is the really big deal for us. If you want to, the good news this morning is, is if you want to overcome sin, you can because sin has been disempowered. You can. You don't, you don't have to be addicted your whole life. You can, you can overcome it. Why? Because Jesus came out of the ground. That's why. It, it's actually disempowered. The only way to re-empower sin is to agree with it. And it's easy to agree with, with sin is because, because you were born that way, and when you're born that way, you don't know any, any other way, right? Uh, we often talk about this here at the Vineyard. Uh, a lot of us grew up in, in homes that we thought were okay until we went and spent the night with somebody who had a really great family, and we came home and we realized that ours was jacked up. Anybody ever had that? You're like, wow, you know, my dad's a really great dad. And then you go to somebody else's house, and you're like, wow, my dad is not okay. <laughs> and by the way, my dad is okay. I've just talked to lots of people in my office who had unokay dads. But the trouble, the trouble is, is that you, you were born into sin, and so the only normal that you have, the only way that your brain works, the only way that your eyes see, and the only thing that your hear, ears hear is a worldview that is passing away. The only way to re-empower something is to believe it because it's the only thing you've ever known. By the way, just because something is the only thing you've ever known doesn't mean it's the only thing that exists. And so, and so the resurrection is calling <coughs> disciples of Jesus to learn a new way. <coughs> it's, uh, it's what Titus calls grace that teaches. You don't have to be hounded by your own sin, either in guilt or in practice. This is a big deal. You don't have to be, you don't have to be hounded by sin, either in guilt or in practice. Now, the thing that everybody in the room believes is that Jesus disempowered sin, and so we can be free from guilt, right? The thing that nobody believes is that you can be free from it in practice, and that's false. It's both. It's not just that you can be free from the guilt. You can be free from it in practice. Why? Because he pulled the roots out. That's why. He disempowered it. It will require that you learn a new way of thinking. And a lot of us in the church believe that learning a new way of thinking is opposed to grace. It is not opposed to grace. It's how stuff works. Like, if you're going to live a new way, you have to learn how to live a new way. Like, you can, you can be standing in a new day and not even know it if the only thing you've ever seen or known is the old day. It's like you have to learn how. And so it becomes a process. Grace is not opposed to a process. In fact, it requires it. If you're going to live in new creation, you will have to learn a new way. If you don't, you'll continue to learn, live in old creation. You'll re-empower what's been pulled up by the roots. And consequently, you'll be miserable. Second implication. God doesn't give up, write off, or run away from anyone or anything. He comes and gives his very own life. What's the point? The point is nothing is too hopeless. Nothing's too hopeless. No one's too far away. No situation is too grave, ever. Any, think of the worst thing in your life right now you can possibly think of. Let's all get super depressed for like 10 seconds. Think of the worst thing, like the most jacked up circumstance. The resurrection says that nothing is ever too hopeless, that Jesus can raise anything up, and that eventually he will raise it all up. God doesn't write things off. We write things off. When you write things off, you're, you're, you're re-empowering old creation. When you, when you maintain hope, when you maintain hope and you don't give up on people, 
you're living a new creation. When someone in your family is super, super jacked up and is like wreaking havoc on your, the rest of your family and you just want to write them off because it's emotionally easier, that's actually old creation. When you can look at somebody who's incredibly jacked up and go, that person is a daughter of Jesus, even though they're not acting like it at all. That person is a daughter of Jesus and is absolute treasure. That's new creation. And when you don't give up hope, you're calling the age to come into the present. See, nothing is too broken. The Spirit's at work. He's hovering over chaos and confusion. He's bringing order. Some of, some of us are so desperate for order. But the real question is, do you have eyes of faith to see new creation? And can you trust that God is at work even in chaos and confusion? How do, how do you begin to live in that? You have to begin to trust that God is at work even in chaos and confusion. Implication number three, there are unlimited possibilities. This is the part I really like. There are unlimited possibilities. Because of the resurrection, there are unlimited possibilities. And no, this isn't a Tony Robbins self-help speech. It really isn't. Let me explain. Uh, in the resurrection of Jesus, death is defeated. We understand that, right? Okay, so if death is defeated, what that really means is that there's not a hard stop at the end. If there's not a hard stop at the end, anything is possible. We're living in a time when there are unlimited possibilities. Old creation mindset is this, that at, the, that at some point, maybe when we least expect it, there's going to be a hard stop. That's actually not the truth. There is no hard stop. There are unlimited possibilities. So am I saying that people aren't going to die? No, that's crazy. People are going to die. The cedar tree's been cut down, but there's still sap in it. It's still green. It's not ready to burn yet. People are going to die. But the New Testament understanding of death is actually not that death wins. It's that death is temporary. Can we put up this passage out of 1 Corinthians 15? This is just, this is just a throwaway phrase. And if you miss the throwaway phrases in the Bible, you miss the heart of the Bible. Almost every time. The, Paul says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. He's making a completely different argument here, but the thing I want you to understand is this. How many of you realize that when Paul says those who have fallen asleep, he's talking about people who have died? If he's talking about people who have died, why wouldn't he say those people who have died? Two times in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection chapter, Paul talks about people who have died, and he uses the phrase, fallen asleep. And by the way, it isn't just Paul either, but it's Jesus as well. In the Gospels, when Jesus goes in to the little girl who's died, he tells them, why are you guys crying? She's not dead, what? She's asleep. Now, how many of you guys believe that Jesus and Paul are naive? So if they're not naive, then what are they trying to tell us? What they're trying to tell us is, is that death is temporary. There is no hard stop at the end. And if there is no hard stop at the end, then the universe must be open. And if the universe is open, then there's unlimited possibilities. See, the possibilities in the age to come are actually pouring into this age. It's, it's that God is renewing the whole world. And one of the main questions that we need to deal with as a church and as a people of Jesus is we need to begin to deal with these questions. 
what's next? This is a question that you can never, ever, ever get too far away from if you want to be a true disciple of Jesus. What's next? What's possible? What's in the heart of God? These are the questions that we need to deal with. Implication number four, it's time to dream a dream. If there's no hard stop at the end, if death, death is literally temporary, temporary is going to sleep, then it's time to dream a dream. And by the way, when I'm talking about dreaming dreams, I'm not talking about the dream of getting rich. Uh, here at the Vineyard, we're dream people. We, we emphasize dreaming dreams. Uh, we believe that it's one of the main ways that we engage the creative realm and that we en- engage, engage the, the spirit realm because God is a creator. But when, when we're talking about dreaming dreams here at the Vineyard, I have to point this out. I'm becoming increasingly aware of it, even here, that some of us have been tempted into believing that simply dreaming dreams is the same thing as dreaming the American dream, and the American dream is not the kingdom dream. Okay? Uh, simply dreaming dreams of getting rich and being famous will not necessarily pull you into the unlimited possibilities of the age to come and being a part of God's recreation project in the earth. Um, in heaven right now, uh, the, the streets are made out of gold. I, I love what P. Ray says about this. In heaven right now, the streets are made of gold, which is to say that in heaven, gold is about as valuable as asphalt. Which is to say that heaven operates on a different value system. We value gold. Heaven, it's really not that valuable. We walk on it. So when we're talking about dreaming dreams, we're not talking about getting rich. We're talking about dreaming dreams of redemption. Like what moves God's heart isn't gold. Gold never moves God's heart. Redemption always moves God's heart. People who are far away from him always moves God's heart. The one lost sheep always moves the Lord's heart. And so when we're talking about dreaming dreams, I'm talking about dreaming dreams that put us into what God's doing. A dream that corresponds to the heart of renewal. A dream that aligns with your call and my call to be ministers of reconciliation. This kind of dreaming and thinking is one of the main ways that we, that we engage the future realm and we pull it into the present. Even now God is speaking and even now God is, is beginning to engage people at a heart level to say, who would like to be a minister of reconciliation? How do you do that? You look around the world, you go, what's crappy? And then you go, what, what would not be crappy? If you, want to walk in, if you want to walk in the ministry of reconciliation, if you want to walk in God's dreams, if you want to walk in the new age, what you do, I love, I love saying that too because it freaks people out. How many of y'all want to walk in the new age? It's like, well, I don't know about that, brother. I, do, I know about it. I, I want to walk in the new age. I've got a spirit God. <clears throat> but one of the things that we do is to engage the new age We walk into things that are crappy and we go, what is not crappy? What would not be crappy? And as soon as you begin to deal with the the question, what would not be crappy? You've actually, you've actually opened up heaven and you've actually begun to think like God. Here's what I believe. I believe that even now God is speaking and giving vision and putting hope in the heart of people at the church. Here's how you know that you have a worthy dream. Here's how you know that you have a worthy dream. If it's filled with hope, if it requires faith, and it results in love. You'll know you're dreaming a God dream if it's filled with hope, if it requires faith, 
and it results in love. Miss any part of that, it's probably not the Lord. By the way, there's a lot of us in the room who think we're dreaming, but you're really not dreaming because it requires zero faith. It's entirely possible for you to do it. Just a little bit of your effort. That's not the dream of the Lord. See, God has re-inaugurated his grand creational project and he's placed every single person here in a garden. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but you're in a garden. And you're in the garden where God has planted you. The trouble is, some of us in the room think we're in a graveyard. Some people look at the resurrection story and all they see is the graveyard. God sees new creation garden. He sees Eden. See, quite often God is calling out to us to make our graveyards a garden of his delight. One of the things the Lord is saying even now is that the place of your greatest pain and the place of your greatest hopelessness, the place that you think is a graveyard, is actually the place of a garden. And that he's actually not going to deliver you from it. He's going to keep you there until you change it. Sometimes we run away from, sometimes we run away from the pain too quickly. Sometimes we run away from the hard part way too early. And we never allow God to do his new creation work in the place that we'd most like to get away from. How many of you guys realize that Jesus was not excited about being executed? Mm-hmm. But if Jesus wasn't executed, there'd be no resurrection. It's in, the, it's, in the, it's in the spot of pain where God is asking us to dream a dream that requires faith, that's filled with hope, and that results in love. That's how graveyards become gardens. Amen? Amen. Hey, why don't you stand up this morning? I want to pray for you guys. If you're on ministry team this morning, come on down. After I pray for you, if you're sick in your body in any way, we want to, we want to pray for you and you should come forward. If you need people just to pray for you for any other reason, let us know. We want to, we want to stand with you. Father, why don't you put your hand on your hearts? Jesus, thanks for today.